whether you want to pay off debt, you want to invest, you want to budget, but you don't want it to be this terrible, horrible process that keeps you from spending money on what you love. I say, don't let it be. But to be able to do that, you have to get clear on what it is that you value the most. And when you're able to do that, everything else that's kind of pulling at your attention, you see it as just that. It's just something that's pulling at your attention and you don't need it. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Making her second appearance on the show is creator of Inspired Budget, Allison Baggerly. Allison is a prominent money management educator who specializes in helping women take control of their finances and start building wealth. As a former teacher, Allison combines her teaching skills with her passion for personal finance to help others learn how to budget, save, pay off debt, and invest for their future. Today's episode's main focus is how to talk about money with kids, even if you're still figuring out money management for yourself. Allison highlights why it's important to discuss money at home. She shares tips on finding authentic ways to talk to children of all ages about budgeting and saving, and describes her personal approach to teaching her own children about money, investing, and debt. This episode is a must listen for parents who want to empower their children with financial literacy skills. But before we get to the episode, I want to quickly share a minimalist resource with you this week. So obviously, this episode has to do with talking to your children about money. And I was doing a little bit of research on how I wanted to teach my daughter as I homeschool her and also just getting that conversation started with my five-year-old. I am a big believer that it's never too early to start talking about finances with our kids. My husband and I like to talk about how we value experiences over things and why we make the financial decisions we do for our family and how our kids will get to make those decisions in their futures. But I wasn't sure how I wanted to start fully explaining all the little nitty gritty details that I probably don't even know myself. That's why this episode was for me. So I did find a book. It's called Managing Your Money by Jane Bingham. And it is part of the Usborn, Usborn. I can't remember how you pronounce that, but it's those really neat books that people sell. Um, I found this one on Amazon, Managing Your Money. It talks about credit cards, student loans, internet banking, in-app purchases. What are banks for? What is interest? Online shopping. As my daughter and I were reading and flipping through this book, It was just curious to me to see how much has changed since I was in high school learning about money. So, so far this has been a nice addition to our weekly studies. I don't necessarily see an age range, but it doesn't mean that you can't read it aloud or just share snippets of it with your younger children. Definitely an older child would benefit from reading through this and maybe having some discussions with you, but I wanted to bring it to your attention. Again, it's called Managing Your Money by Jane Bingham. Of course, there'll be a link in the show notes, which I don't know if you've noticed. I have been trying to include all the links in the show notes on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening, so that you don't have to actually go to the website to find all of that information. So hopefully that has been helpful to you. And... I think that's all I wanted to share. So let's get into this conversation with Allison. I'm 
I'm glad to have you back. You have written a book, Money Made Easy. So you're here today to discuss it. Before we get into that, though, why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself? I will be sure to link your past episode in the show notes, but why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself and then we'll get started. Absolutely. So I'm Allison Baggerly. I'm the founder of Inspired Budget. I own my own business, which is never something that I thought I would do. I actually graduated college. I was an elementary school teacher for 10 years. And during that time period, my husband and I, who is also a teacher, he's a music teacher, we paid off over six figures of debt. And during the process, I really surprisingly to me and everyone around me, I fell in love with budgeting and just having control over my money. I'm a spender, so I tend to spend impulsively. And I loved having almost a plan that made me feel just empowered and like I could stay on track with my goals. So I started Inspired Budget and I share different people's budget reels. I have, of course, I talk about investing and now I've written a book, Money Made Easy, which it's not so much a step-by-step book, like do this, do that, here's where your results, but it's more of an informational book to say like, hey, personal finance is just that, it's personal. Not everything that worked for me is going to work for you. So here are your options and choose what you think will work for you. So it's more of a choose your own adventure type thing instead of a cookie cutter, this is exactly what you need to do to be successful with money book. Absolutely. And I think today I wanted to focus more on talking to our kids about finances and how we can encourage them in their future purchases or just future habits. But because you said that, and because it is such a personal thing, I am curious, we had talked about conquering our money without giving up what we love. And Mm -hmm. I think we should touch on that a little bit here at the beginning, just because so many people are hesitant to become minimalist or to implement more frugality within their lifestyles or budgets because they Mm -hmm. don't want to go without. But how can we do that without maybe giving up the things that we truly love? What does it look like for you? Oh my gosh, Diane, this is a really great question because in the past, I wanted so much. I wanted nice clothes. I wanted all the things. And I was very unclear on what I wanted versus what everyone else had or everyone else wanted or told me to want. So for years, I would buy things and spend money and fill my home with things that I may not have even liked, but I did it because I thought I was supposed to like it. And it truly was, I was unclear on what I wanted, Allison. So one thing about whether you want to pay off debt, you want to invest, you want to budget, but you don't want it to be this terrible, horrible process that keeps you from spending money on what you love. I say, don't let it be. But to be able to do that, you have to get clear on what it is that you value the most. And when you're able to do that, everything else that's kind of pulling at your attention, you see it as just that. It's just something that's pulling at your attention and you don't need it. So for instance, here's an example. For our family, something that I spend money on every single month that I love and value is having a house cleaner come. This is something we added into our budget less than a year ago. It has been a game changer. And I would rather pay that money to a house cleaner to come every other week rather than have a really nice car that I have to have a payment on. I'm happy driving my little Kia Sorento that is used and paid off so that I can afford to have this house cleaner as a line item in my budget. That is what I value. It brings me so much joy. Same thing with spending money on travel. I'm very much, I have my kids are around 11 and eight, and I'm just in this period of time in parenting where they still want to go on trips with me, 
and they look forward to it. They can't say no, we enjoy it. We want to create memories with them. We realize we only have so many years left with our kids at home where we can force them to do things with us. And so for me, I would rather be able to prioritize saving money for those types of trips rather than having fancy name brand clothes or a really nice purse or even really expensive patio furniture outside. Do I want the patio furniture? Sure. But when I really think about what I want the most and where my values lie, it's not in the patio furniture. For someone else, it might be, and that's okay. Yeah, I think that that's what I try to tell people, just that, just where do your values lie? And I think sometimes it may come across as judgmental, and I never want it to be because I'll say, oh, we apply our funds towards this way, and we're not as into the furniture or fill in the blank. People shouldn't look at it as a judgment based on what we value. It's just personal. So I like that. It's interesting that you said that. I think that people judge because they see what you're putting out as a reflection on them, but it's not, it's just a reflection on you. And so also as we consume content and as you are scrolling through and you are seeing, and if someone is posting about something, remember that it's, it's not a reflection on who you are. It's a reflection Mm -hmm. on them, but we as humans just naturally make it about us. Yeah, I think that I just shared this in my episode that went live today, actually, that we're recording this with the tidy dad. And we were talking a little bit about our past. And my husband and I, when we first were married, we were living in a half of a duplex that we did own, Mm -hmm. but we were living in half of it. We didn't have a backyard. We didn't have cable. We barely ever bought meat because we couldn't afford it. I was still in college. Well, everyone else had like dinks. Have you heard of doing dual income? Yes, dual income. No kids are living the life. Yeah. And I was still graduating and working at very, I wasn't making a ton of money at the time. So anyways, all that to say now, flash forward 12, 13 years later, we have that as an investment property and we're able to do some cool stuff because we went without for so long. But people, Mm -hmm. if they just see maybe my Instagram stories, I try to be as authentic as I can be, but maybe if they're looking at just that highlight reel, they're Mm -hmm. not going to see where we went without and we struggled or- Yeah, where we brought our third baby home to 900 square feet and we're sleeping on the couch for a year. It's like all this stuff had happened in the Mm -hmm. background and that's not so, we don't put that stuff on social media. At least I don't, so. Exactly, and I think that the way I like to see it and it sounds like this is exactly what you embody is I always say, I'm willing to sacrifice for a season so I can live in abundance for the rest of my life. And that's really what we did. And when I was able to accept that as we were paying off debt and when we were sacrificing on some things, It was just for a season. It wasn't going to be my forever. And that's what I tell myself. If I ever have to go without something, I always tell myself, Target will still be there. Amazon will still be there. The sale will still be there. And if I really want it, I can find a way to add it to my budget. They're not going away. And I think that whenever you're working on your money, and like you said, you're you're trying to really focus on what you want in life. When you remember that, it's very freeing to realize like, hey, this isn't my forever. There will still be options because what that did was that allowed me, someone who loved spending money Mm -hmm. during the time of sacrifice, it really allowed me to just honestly change my habits overall with money and how I interact with money for the better, I think. I also have done that with sugar. (laughs) Sugar will always be there. So if I feel like I want to eat like a half a pan of brownies, it's like, you know what? They'll be there tomorrow and they'll be there the next day. And if you need to go get more, there will be. So it's okay to just have one now because that's not going. Yes. Yes, I do that with candy at the grocery store. If I'm like, oh my gosh, I really want a Toblerone. Toblerones are like my 
big thing where I'm just like, oh my gosh, if I really want to indulge, I'll get one of those. And it's like, okay, I don't need that today. They're not going away. They're not going to stop selling them at the store. I can always come back. And so we can apply that same mentality to things that we are buying or our money. It's scarcity mindset. And I think that we can apply that when we look to others too. Like maybe I'll never get that. But again, if we just have that tunnel vision on our goals, we're just better for it. So, all right, well, let's talk about money with kids. Why do you think it's important to discuss money at home? And are you doing that now with your kids? Great question. So I am doing that now with my kids in a very natural and authentic way. But the truth is that I was an elementary school teacher. I'm just going to lay out the truth for you. We are not teaching kids about money in school. And legally, where I live in the state of Texas, there are standards that you have to teach, but they are not tested standards that are tested very high. So I would spend, even as a teacher who loved talking about money, I would be allotted three to five days a year to discuss this. So if a student is having an off day, they miss it. If a student is sick with the flu, they miss it. And I don't know about you, but anything I've learned for three to five days, it doesn't stay cemented in my mind. So even if it's being touched on at school, it's not something that kids are really learning about. And then we just send them off into this big world and just hope that they do well. And that was me. I got sent off into the world. I didn't learn about money. They were not teaching it in school. My parents were trying to figure it out as they went. Learning about money was really a privilege before the internet. It was this sink or swim type situation. And I sunk. I did. I sunk. And then I had to figure out how to put floaties on. I want to send my kids out into the world with their floaties on. I want to send them out into the world prepared. Will they be perfect when it comes to money? No. Will they make mistakes? Absolutely. But if I can give them some sort of idea around how money works, how debt works, how to make sure you don't overdraft every month, then I feel like they'll be more prepared for just life in general. As you were talking, I just did a quick Google search because I'm like, there has to be a money management curriculum I can do at home. And I found a couple, I'll put them in the show notes, Mm -hmm. but there's also practicalmoneyskills.com where there's plenty of lesson plans. So I think you're right. We're not getting this in school. I don't ever remember it. Maybe in home ec. And I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. I don't think so. I don't know. If I do, it's not called that. That's probably like... Yeah. So no, I mean, I think in home economics, I learned how to make a baked Alaska spaghetti, but like, it wasn't even from Mm -hmm. scratch. It was ragu and just bizarre things. And it's like, we should have been focusing on what I struggled with in my early Mm -hmm. twenties because I didn't know any of this. So yeah, we'll include that in the show notes, but I definitely think you make a valid point of why it's so critical to be teaching this to our kids, even if they are going to public school. I'm saying that from a homeschooling standpoint, but I think it's a really important thing. So how do you find authentic ways to talk to children of all different ages? I mean, I could probably start implementing some of these skills with my three-year-old. Oh, absolutely. So we started having conversations just openly about money and budgeting whenever our kids were young. Now, I will say we did have a moment where I realized, okay, I kind of messed this up. And that's okay. As parents, we're going to mess things up. But we started talking about money. And when we were really on our journey to become debt-free, money was tight. It was stressful. And I remember one time checking the mail and getting my electricity bill in the mail. And it was less than I had anticipated. And I kind of just sighed. And I was like, oh, And my son, who was maybe four or five at the time, picked up on that, knew it was about money and offered to pay the electricity bill. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. But also like the fact that you think you have to step up 
tells me that I haven't been doing a really great job communicating about money. See, I grew up in a house where my parents never communicated. So I've almost over communicated. And I'm like, okay, that's also probably not good. So now that they are older, I have an 11 year old and an eight year old. They have a debit card that they do chores every day. It sends money to their debit card. They can pull it up on an app on their, you know, my 11 year old actually has a phone and then I can pull it up on my phone for my eight year old. And a portion of their money goes to saving, spending and giving. So 20% goes to saving, 10% goes to giving and 70% goes to spending. And they can save for different items. They can go on Amazon and look at things they want to buy. And they can say, okay, I want to set this goal. And guess what? They do that and they realize they don't want it. And their goal changes and they change it to something completely different. But we do that. And then also we have conversations in our house about different things. We're at this age, especially with my older son, where he's seeing what other kids have. And we are not spending as much money on our kids as maybe some of his friends are getting, whether it's because we are choosing to save for college or whether it's because we just don't make as much money as them. And we have to have these conversations about, okay, you want this. However, here is our budgeted amount. So let's take birthdays, for example. They know they have a budgeted amount allocate for birthdays. And if they want more than that, or if they say, well, so-and-so gets this, I'll say, okay, look, this is our budgeted amount. And here's why. Number one, we are going on a trip this summer. We have to make sure we're saving money for that trip. Number two, we're setting aside money every month for you and your brother to go to college. I know you want those things. We can't have everything. So we are trying to split our costs as best as we can. And we just have those conversations. And are they disappointed, especially my 11-year-old? Yes. But then I also remind him when we're taking these trips, we're able to take them because we set aside money all along the way. What about something like investing? How young do we start talking about that? I love this question. So I started talking about investing with my oldest son around the age of nine or 10. And what's really cool is what I use to pay my kids and I pay for it. I'm not, it's not like a sponsor or anything like that. I use the green light card and they can actually invest through that card as well. So I set it up to where they can send money to investments and they can see their investing grow. But we do talk about investing. We talk about retirement, but it's a very abstract concept that many adults struggle with. So really, instead of talking so much about investing, we really talk heavy on saving. And we talk about how mom and dad are saving for retirement we are investing our money to have more for retirement. So I think, honestly, if I can get my kids when they leave my house at 18, if I can get them to understand these basic concepts and principles and understand the basics of investing, I think that that's a win. Also, just realizing that sometimes kids don't listen to their parents and they think, oh, you're just saying this. And taking advice is sometimes a struggle.
What do you want listeners to take away? What do you want readers to take away from your new book? I want them to take away the fact that personal finance is personal and that what worked for me or worked for you, Diane, isn't necessarily going to work for them. And that doesn't make them dumb or stupid or unable to budget or reach their money goals. It just means that they have to try something different. And that's not bad. So my book really is less about using shame and judgment to motivate, but it's really about finding what works for you and creating consistency in a system that allows you to reach your goals, whatever those goals are. It doesn't matter if your goal is to pay off $50,000 of student loans or if your goal is to save up and pay $50,000 for a down payment for a home or a car. I don't care. It's fine as long as you are intentional about it. And what I guess makes my book different is it's very much wrapped up in stories of our family and others. So it's not boring to read. I know a lot of nonfiction books can be very boring, but I really open you up into some of the mistakes that I've made, our family has made, and then also some of the things that we've done right and conquering different money goals and how we got there and stories along the way. Yes, it's very approachable. I'm not completely done with it yet, but just reading through it, it's, I don't want to say it's an easy read. It's really well written, but it's easy to consume. That's what I wanted. So the fact that you actually said it's an easy read is actually a compliment because I think that so many times we pick up these books that are nonfiction and it's like a drag to get through them. And I think a lot of times what it is, is the writing is just too high level, number one. And the person that explaining it, it makes sense to them, but it might not make sense to us. And then also there's no stories along the way. I know that I follow along a lot better in any nonfiction book if I'm following a story or if there's little stories kind of thrown in through there. And so that's really what I try to do because it also allows you to see yourself in the book. And it might even remind you of different times in your life when you've gone through something similar. I like that it talks about identifying bad money habits. You talk about budgeting. You talk about at the beginning what your catalyst for change is. So for you guys, you realize you were in debt that you didn't want that weight and that burden anymore. And so that was your catalyst to change you and to to sacrifice for a moment. But I mean, now look at you on the other side of that. And again, there's so much freedom and peace and everything that was there and accessible to you is now here now. And it's like, maybe my mindset has shifted and I'm not even wanting the things that I wanted back then. And I think that that maybe Mm -hmm. hindsight is 2020, but I also think that we have to kind of put that at the prefrontal cortex when we're making financial decisions, because that usually is the case. I completely agree. I mean, even just pausing and taking time before you spend allows you to just think through what you're doing and if you actually want it. And do you want to hear the coolest thing about the book? Our whole thing and, and chapter one is very much like you said about your catalyst for change. And I did not walk into this budgeting and money process like willingly. I'm going to be honest and just say like I was forced into this because my husband and I got pregnant on our honeymoon. And we couldn't afford daycare payments. So really, my oldest son, Evan, he is the reason that we were like, oh, my goodness, something has to change. We can't keep living like this because of him. And that was my catalyst. And soon after that, I realized that I am enough for it to be my own catalyst for change. But I didn't realize it then. And what's so cool about this book is he's about to turn 11 And the book releases in stores on his 11th birthday. And it's so crazy for me. I get emotional thinking about how it all started really from him and my desire to give him a life that I wasn't even giving myself. 
And when I look back and I think that's so sad, but I think that's so true for many parents. I wanted something different than I was even getting. And for this to come full circle and for the book to be released just on his birthday, it honors him and what he did for our family. And I do think that my younger son's a little bit jealous, but <laughs> that's okay. It's just a, it's just a beautiful circle. Full circle yeah. Moment. Full circle. Yeah. It's full circle for sure. Well, Allison, where can listeners grab a copy of the book and connect with you online if they want to do so? Of course. So you can go to inspirebudget.com slash money made easy to get a copy or just go to Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all the places. And then if you like listening to podcasts, you can listen to my podcast, Inspire Budget Podcast. I'd love to have you over and get a copy of the book, take a picture of it, post on social media, tag me, and I will share your story. Perfect. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask everyone. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource that you'd like to share with the listeners? Okay. So one resource that I love, and I actually mentioned this person in my book is Byron Katie. She has a book called Loving What Is. And it's a little bit woo-woo, but it's very much just, she goes through four questions to ask yourself when you are in your thoughts, because our thoughts can lie to us. And it's four questions to really help you shift your thoughts to love what is in your life, even in the hard, the good, the difficult. It has been incredible. It's almost like therapy in a book. I've read it. Even my husband has read it. And when we are struggling with something or one of us comes to the other person and we're maybe I'm struggling with something with work or the kids or, you know, I struggle with depression, anxiety, I'm having thoughts. He'll start asking me those questions or he'll say, you need to do the work on it. And it really stems from Byron Katie's book, Loving What Is. Yeah. I think that a lot of the books that I would deem slightly Woo woo. I don't know if that's PC to say anymore. I think it is. Maybe I think it's not. I'm more sorry. like spiritual that is not for me. Mm-hmm. I think that there's always things that I can take away from anyone's words. Oh, yeah. I just think that's a really cool thing. It's not as much less woo woo as it is. Her experience was very dramatic. Okay. It was a very dramatic experience. So to think that you're going to have the same kind of dramatic experience, I think that's what makes might turn people off. But it's like, okay, it's really just about changing the way you're thinking and realizing that you're thoughts can lie to you, but it's amazing. Oh yeah. I like that. It's four questions that you can ask yourself regularly going through something. I feel like that's very helpful. So I'll definitely check that out. All right. My last question for you is what is something you can't stop talking about? I can't stop talking about investing for retirement. (laughs) I know that's so lame. How old are you, Diane? I'm almost 35. Okay. So I am 35. I'm almost 36. And I feel like there are so many millennials that find investing super confusing and they think, Uh, oh, it's so far off. And now we're getting to the age where we're like, oh gosh, it's not that far off. And I've been putting this off. And so I have been obsessed. I can't stop talking about ways to make it really easy and to make help people understand investing. It's a very abstract concept. I'm a teacher at heart. I like to break it down with metaphors and ways that are easy to understand. And that's honestly like, where my mind is. I'm always thinking about investing. I'm excited to invest now, which is crazy for me to say that. I'd rather do that than spend money. So that's something I can't stop talking about. I need to look more into this. I think it's hard because my husband manages all of that. And so for me, I'm like, oh, it's just one more thing that I'd add to my plate. It's a good thing that he can kind of take that. But then it is scary because I'm like, what if something happens to one of us? Then you do have to pick up the slack and whatever it is Mm -hmm. that you haven't managed. So I think it's good to have a little bit of a balance with all of that, Mm -hmm. but I know he loves to invest. So yes, 
I need to ask him a little bit more about that. <laughs> ask, look at your portfolio, what you're investing in. Even if you don't look at that, but if you just understand the basics and the concept, like that makes it easier just in general. Yeah. And I think that we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't teach that in school. Yeah, no, I definitely didn't either. Investing to me feels like I could get kind of caught up in it, kind of like gambling because you are going to gamble. Okay. So this is very interesting because a lot of people feel that way. I've been doing a lot of research about how people feel. So what you were saying is very reasonable. And I think so much of it is, you know, we lived through this 2008 where the market crashed and we hear Mm -hmm. these stories about so-and-so lost everything. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is yes, the market crashed. But what I have found, because I used to feel like this too, is the more I learned about investing and the ins and outs of it, and I'm not talking like super deep understanding, but the more I learned about it and the patterns of it, the less it felt like gambling because I didn't let my emotions lead me to my thoughts. I learned about how it works. I learned how the stock market works and the patterns and how there will be ups and there will be downs. And that whoever might have lost all their money in 2008, as long as they stayed invested in the stock market, they have like recovered crazy amounts. So it's the, it's the knowledge that I think can help combat those fears, but it's the fears that keep us from wanting to learn about it. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. I'm like, I'm going all in. Yeah, exactly. And then of course, like all of this Bitcoin stuff, like I don't, that's not my take on investing. I'm very much like a long-term investor where I invest in index funds. In the past, I let a lot of fear control my mindset around investing. But once I was willing to learn about it and truly understand it, which if you read an investing book, doesn't mean you'll understand it. You need a good teacher to really break it down for you because it is more abstract. Then I was like excited about it. Interesting. No, that was really helpful. I'm glad that we added that here to the end because it sounds like it is more common. I'm very all or nothing sometimes. So I have to tread lightly, but I think you're right. Mm -hmm. We're not driven by our emotions. We have a much more clear head with anything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, Allison, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm excited to finish your book and I appreciate you joining. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.